Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. Today, I'm talking to Nikki Weiner. She blends her experience as an educator, college admissions coach, and professional writer to support students and their families as they navigate the college admissions process. Nikki is the founder of Building Bold, and she has served as a guest speaker in the U.S. and abroad to share her expertise on writing and the college admissions landscape. Nikki's holistic approach is student-centered and provides students with the tools to thrive through the admission process and beyond to reach their full potential. Welcome, Nikki. Thanks for having me, Amy. I'm excited to chat today. I am very excited, too, because I just went through this process with my oldest. He's going to be a freshman in college this fall, and I have another one right behind is going to start the process soon. I could not believe how different this was from when I applied, admittedly, a very long time ago. But the first thing I wanted to talk with you about was the sort of the changing climate of college admissions and sort of what's different now from when we, the people listening, might have applied. One thing that's really interesting is we're operating in more of a digital landscape. So things as simple as social media can definitely play into this process. I always encourage my students just to be mindful of what they're posting. So simple things like that, that we might not be thinking about are valuable, but also this digital age accelerating so fast is working in our students' favors as well, because colleges are able to share so much more information with them quicker and engage with them in a more robust way. We see virtual interviews happening, something we definitely weren't seeing 20 years ago. But I think that probably one thing our listeners might really be thinking about is acceptance rates and what they saw when they applied to college. Things have changed. The more competitive colleges have only gotten more competitive. And I think sometimes when I work with families, you know, that can be a shock. Harvard's 1995 freshman class had an admit rate of 11.8%. But last year's admit rate was 4.92%. So think, I mean, that's a given, Harvard. That's going to be hard. Right, right. Very competitive. But we're seeing that for all schools. And then I think one other thing that really stands out for me is obviously standardized testing has changed a bit over the last 20 years. You know, there's two different tests. They've been around, but they're considered equally the ACT, SAT. 
But the writing section is not as important. So that writing section becoming optional, I think just puts more pressure on the essays that colleges ask students to write. Um, it's not optional everywhere, but it's largely you know, moving in that direction. So you're talking about the SAT and ACT. There's an essay section and kids can decide when they take it, if they're going to take it with or without the essay. Is that correct? Yeah. Some kids just feel I don't want to sit for that extra time to do this essay. There's so much writing in the application. So that's interesting. It used to play a much bigger role that could really bump a kid's score up. Yeah. So that's a fun little fact. And then I think that the digital applications have really spiked because the common application, which is one of the main platforms. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, too. That's one of the reasons it's changed so much is that there is the common app. Can you tell us about that and how it works? Yes. The common app does not work with every single college or university, but it works with a lot over 800 schools. And that changes daily. The common app allows a student to fill out this main application portion that goes to every single college, then each college can ask specific questions. So they could ask quirky questions, they could ask more literal questions, why do you want to come to our school? So that hub allows kids now as opposed to 20 years ago to apply to many more schools and at a more rapid pace. So if you can afford the admissions fee, you can just press send on one more school? You can. And and that increase, I would say, like over the past 20 years, NACAC, which is the National Association of College Admissions Counseling, estimates we see like 36% of applicants submitting seven or more college applications. How has COVID and the pandemic, has that increased the amount of applications even more? Because I kept seeing everywhere that applications were up 50% at this school or that school. So amidst the test optional landscape this past year, we definitely saw an influx of applicants to the most selective schools. I think that, you know, that also, of course, resulted in a decrease in acceptances. You know, there were some anomalies in New York State schools. We saw a decrease in applications. But I think that that it's more likely just this big influx, which we should see in this upcoming season as well, since we are still test optional for the vast majority of schools. And what do you think about that? Do you think test optional is maybe here to stay? Yeah, I think that it's certainly in conversation. One thing is that, you know, A lot of colleges were test optional before the pandemic. And I think that that it's just made people more understand that process better, what doors it could open for students. But I think it's going to be a case by case basis. If there's a real learning curve for a lot of colleges and universities, they were not prepared for this. Whereas a lot of these schools that were already test optional before the pandemic, they had done their research. They'd learned how to evaluate a student effectively and holistically without the test scores. So I think right now it's going to be, well, what does that learning curve look like and what do the results look like? We've got a lot of schools on three-year pilots, and I think those results will start to inform kind of the direction. I personally do hope to see test optional continue in as many schools as possible. If you have a kid who's applying to college in the next couple of years, if you were advising that student... What do you advise them in terms of submitting scores not? Or is it just like, woohoo, no more tests? Or is it more complicated than that? I have to say, I'm a little biased. I've always you know, preferred the essays and things that can show character more. But for the test scores right now, I think colleges and myself are on the same page is that if you are in the mid 50% of what you know the college looks for for the ACT and SAT, you really should submit the test score unless your score is going to bring down your 
academic profile. That's how I advised this past year. And, you know, we saw good results. There are schools, though, I will say, Amy, that do value scores more than others. And still, Northwestern was speaking on a podcast recently, and they said, you know, please do try to take that test. And I think Michigan, too, you know, I did not see great results for students without test scores. They're not ready fully to evaluate kids without scores yet. You, know, you were talking about the middle 50%. This is something that also didn't exist when I was applying to college, which is you can look online, you can look at their average ACT, SAT scores, and your student can and kind of see like, is this in the cards for me or not? In some ways, it's useful to sort of manage expectations, right? If you got mm-hmm. a certain score on the ACT and the average admitted student at that college, it's 10 points higher, like, okay, make sure you have some other schools on your list. Yeah. Does that go away as a useful metric if this becomes a test optional continues? And does it just be more like everybody apply wherever you want? The test scores, at least right now, again, speaking of selective schools that have valued them are still important. This word test optional can become a little complicated. My students who would submit test scores and would perform well have also performed well in school. Let's sort of, if I just back up for one minute, the transcript is the number one factor. So if that already is not up to par for the college or university, I don't think test scores can make up for that discrepancy of what the college is looking for and what the student's showing. So that's one thing. However, maybe there's a student that has an impeccable transcript, taken all the APs uh, that their school might offer or the most rigorous courses or is just performing really well. And maybe they're just not a strong tester. In that case, I do think that that metric of the test score may help them or taking away that metric would possibly help them. All right. I think this is a good time to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the well-rounded student and how that's something else about the admissions process that has changed over the last decade or two. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get 
$100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, Lumen dot me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back. We're talking to Nikki Weiner. She's the founder of Building Bold that helps students apply to colleges and reach their futures as happy, well-adjusted adults who still speak to their parents after the college admissions process. Yes, definitely. Let's talk about the well-rounded thing, right? This is something else that was sort of a understood as like, this is how you impress colleges. You sign up for every club like Marsha Brady, right? You're the president (laughs) of this and you're on the swim team and you're in the school play and you're the class president and you're this and you volunteer, right? You do all of these things. That's how you impress colleges. Is that still the way in? So it's not. Right now, we are... And we have been for some years, you know, for an extension of years, been operating in a landscape where, you know, what I like to call the well lopsided student is preferred. So that's the student who really leans into maybe they're into fashion and sustainability. Thus, it could be sustainable fashion, like leans into that area, that focus area, and thus is impressive to colleges because they are doing just what us adults would be doing. We are leaning into our passions and the areas of focus. What definitely once was true, we just described that well-rounded student is just confusing, I think, for colleges at this point. And even me as a coach, it's why do you have to do a little bit of community service, a little bit of chess club, a little bit of this? And what's really exciting is I think that this newer trend does enable us to see students at their best because if they can find a passion point, and lean into it, maybe they can have more joy throughout college and thus, you know, impress colleges more. There are some kids, right, who are self-starters and who, I don't know, like they're, to use fashion as your example, like they're, you know, juniors in high school and they're applying to Project Runway and they know just what they want and they're chasing it. And then I think there's a lot more kids who are like, uh, I don't really know what I like to do. I'm 16. I like a lot of things. And mm-hmm. how do you help them sort of discern Because it isn't just about getting into a good school, right? Like finding your passion and pursuing it in a specific way, it leads to a a happier student as well. So how do you help them, a kid who might not really be able to discern so clearly, this is what I'm passionate about? Yeah. So I think this is really important. I get students that will come to me and say, like, will this look good for colleges? Is this what colleges want to see? And I'll often shift them immediately from that, though it's, you know, valuable to consider. So for students that are a little bit less clear, and that's very normal, I would say more students are less clear than are clear on what they want to pursue in their extracurricular life. Hmm. I think probing them with questions and thinking and trying things is important early on. Just trying something, trying something within community service that might bring them joy and purpose is valuable. This doesn't need to be their lifelong passion forever, but if they're making an impact in some way, it is helpful in this process and in their high school careers. So like this gradual trying of different things, like, did you like that? Did you not? Uh, considering how reflecting on, you know, how a student feels in different activities is also important. And then I just think over time, asking a student to challenge themselves more, because I think that's where growth happens when we are uncomfortable and students are uncomfortable. So asking them to, you know, ask their teacher, if they can do an independent project because they're into turtles and saving turtles in the sea somewhere, <laughs> like asking if they can do these things. The ask is really important. So if they're not sure, well, let's ask and find out more. That can be really interesting. And not every student needs to have the same extracurricular profile. So while we do value leadership, 
you know, making impacts on a local community and global level, you know, there might be a student that's doing something really meaningful on a smaller scale. And that can be just as important. Also, some students have different circumstances. They might have a lot of family responsibilities and colleges recognize that. Just recently, that became part of the college application. So I think it's really taking it on a case-by-case basis and um, helping a student discover and not feel like they have to get to the end goal. Like, here's your extracurricular profile. Here's your resume today. It will happen over time. I heard this explained. This made a lot of sense to me that the you know ideal applicant is a high school level expert at something that's of great interest to them, that the colleges aren't necessarily expecting everybody to be a, a published author, right? A, a Pulitzer Prize finalist, whatever. That's not really what we mean. We mean a high school level I really love bees. And so I got my high school to install some, you know, aviaries on the roof. And because I think that we should care more about bumblebees, right, that they apply their passion in a in a way that changes the world that they're in, perhaps, right? We're not really saying like, you need to get to the UN by sophomore year or forget it. It's about chasing something in a showing initiative and originality. Is that the right way to think of it? Yeah, I think that that can be true for some students like that is it really depends. Like there are students that absolutely are going to push and push and push and they'll be in Forbes. Right. And I work with those students, but I also work with the students that do something that shows an impact within their world. Yes. At 17 years old or 16, 15. I think it's students have a hard time tapping into that reality. Like they want to be in Forbes. Right. They want to be recognized as right. Uh But they have a harder time starting. And that starting of that B projects could totally be recognized in Forbes. Why not? That's awesome. Yeah. But I think students get way overwhelmed with the competition of like where they could be, what they heard students were doing. But I think you're right on, you have your finger on the pulse. It's about starting somewhere in that we don't know where that will grow, but it is really impressive that they can make that kind of impact large and small. Yeah. It's not about the end project. Like, what if I start this? What if this isn't good enough to get me into the school I've been thinking about? Like, that's not really why you're doing it. You're doing it because it's something you like. And that's why it can't be, look, kid, you're going to save the whales and you're going to like it or not. That is going to be your thing. You can't really, I feel like it must come across if it's not organic to the student. Definitely. And then I think that it also has to be within the right context as as you're starting to allude to. You know, I do have students who you know, their family is from Egypt and thus they spend their summers in Egypt with their family. So they started some healthcare project there. That makes sense within that context. It's not necessary for someone who does not have that same backstory to go out of their way to to do something in a community that is unrelated to their backyard and starting in their backyard. But it really is case by case. And I love students to just step out of the how to's and step into this is your path and this is how let's see what's going on within your community. What little things again, spark your interest. And I love the B example, how that can come to fruition. Let's talk about the essay a little bit. I remember when I applied to college, my essay, I wrote it, you know, two hours before the application was due. And I mean, it was not a piece of writing I would have been proud of. And yet I went to a school that I was delighted with. Like you were saying before, the transcript is maybe the most important part of the college application. Is the essay like number two tied? Where would you put that in the picture? Well, definitely right now. And if you know our listeners are listening during this year of the pandemic and admissions, it's definitely very high up there. The essay and letters of recommendation and extracurricular profile all tell part of the narrative and propel it forward. So it's definitely really important, especially when you're trying to gauge someone's intellectual curiosity, 
inquisitiveness, whatever that might be that the colleges are looking for that particular applicant. It's very important right now. One thing I come across every year is, you know, parents writing essays. And so what I try to tell my students is that not only can hurt you, but it's so obvious. So when it is a 17 year old who wrote the essay and it is showing intellectual curiosity and energy and whatever that person's story is, it can be really impactful. And it's very obvious, you know, some 17 year olds write at a very different level than others. So, but there's just certain levels of reflectiveness when parents get involved. And I I just have to say that every year because I worry that parents aren't okay with what a 17 year old can produce and showcase to colleges. And with that said, it is important to take time to, I guess, hook the reader as best as possible. I think one fun, well, maybe not so fun statistic is how long in really elite schools admissions officers spend on Uh the application. And it's probably at highly competitive schools about eight minutes or less reviewing an application. That doesn't mean it won't be re-reviewed, but it's very quick, the whole application. So getting that captivating story is maybe more important than when you or I applied. I definitely submitted my application at 11.59 (laughs) p.m., So to that end, it's a little bit more important now, for sure, as part of the uh, review. And is the essay sort of a like, here's me, here's eight things about me, like, here's the overview of what I'm all about? Or is it a deep dive on something really specific that isn't elsewhere in the application? What's the best way to look at it? I think it depends on the applicant. So for me... I really prefer to see an entire applicant's profile. So that would mean even if I'm just going to help them on the essay, I want to see the transcript, the resume, etc. Because I want to know how this essay could fit into the context of that. So it should definitely help to move the narrative forward. But it really, what does the student have to share? It depends. They have their resume or what is the activity section mm-hmm. to tell about themselves. They have some supplemental essays for school specifics applications. I think it depends though. Like if a student has a really important story to tell that has been shared in another part of their application, they might still need to share it in greater depth. But I think for the vast majority of students, I prefer an unconventional route or something that might not have been as expected for the direction it might go without trying too hard. There's a blog. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Tulane University's admissions counselor writes a great blog. So helpful about from the point of view of the person who's reading these hundreds and thousands of applications like this is what we want. And he said something about like the great essay is the one that makes me want to like go down the hall and and knock on my colleague's door. I'm like, you got to read this one. And because it's funny, it's sad, it's interesting, it's whatever, like the one that makes them go down the hall. That's the one that will you know, come out. And it seems to me that that some outside the box thinking might be required to get to that essay. Yes. And then I think, and oh gosh, I love the Tulane. It's the Tulane Dean. I mean, he he has the greatest blog. So yes, definitely encourage our listeners to look at that. What I would say though, is there is a real reality of forcing it. So because I do so many of these Mm. essay brainstorms, I always am mindful of, I love the unconventional conventional essays. Those are ones like I never show anyone. I just keep those to myself just so they never circulate anywhere. Who knows? (laughs) But I love those so much. But the truth is that that's not everyone's way of thinking or engaging with the world. And that is okay. I think staying true in a way to oneself is important in the essay writing process. But if a student can go unconventional in any way, that's exciting. But again, I mean, I think the narrative that we're telling across the application is crucial. This may be the only opportunity that, you know, admissions can hear the student's voice or how they would speak to admissions. So I find it to be 
imperative that they don't get too quirky so that they're not saying anything of meaning or of, in, of depth. Just like the um, project that they pick to do the deep dive on extracurricularly can't be picked based on how it will look to colleges, right? The essay, like, yeah, if you're trying to write with, will this get me in? Will this get me in? It's that's not the end goal. Oh, that is the end goal, but it's not where you start. And then I do, I almost feel a little bit hesitant saying this because I am such an unconventional essay coach. You know, I just always want to go for the unconventional topic. But look, if a student can do it and pull it off, we're going for it. So what I usually do, Amy, is I'll have them start unconventional. Uh, we'll pull back. We've always got safety land and safety land is not always bad. It might just be the better portrayal of the student. Maybe it's slightly less exciting, but it might just be better for that application. But I always have them start with it. Like, you know, I had an essay brainstorm. I said, like, what about that tree outside your house? That's a very interesting tree. I, just, I keep seeing it. Can we talk about that tree? Just to see what are they, how will they respond to those questions? Sometimes I'll have students do a free write, but it does have to be true to the student. And then, I mean, I think that, again, we get these supplemental essays. Most colleges have them. They're short. They're succinct. Those essays should work sort of just, they should just congeal together. They should all work together with the personal statement to tell the student's story. And I can tell you, Amy, for a fact that it is my students that have the right essay combination that excites me that I can remember that do the best. It's so complicated. And I want to take a break and come back and talk about another very important piece of this, which is the parent-child relationship and managing our own stress and our kids' stress as uh, we walk through this together. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero-gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how 
all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Okay, we're back. We're talking to Nikki Weiner. She's the founder of Building Bold. Nikki, let's talk about the parent-child relationship and how we as parents can manage this. We come to this as our kids are applying with a lot of stress. Like It is stressful. Having just gone through this, spreadsheets, the deadlines. This school has three essays. This school has four. This school needs the teachers to submit it, and this school needs you to submit it. It's so different. It's so many moving parts. And the outcomes seem so terribly important, even as you try to manage your expectations and your kids' expectations. What do you do to help the families that you work with through that sort of charged environment and keep everybody, you know, from throttling each other? Yeah. Well, I just want to honor that truth. Like, it is stressful. I have been in this world. I choose to do this every season. And it is a stressful world for myself. And having started this company and worked for other companies, I think part of our philosophy at Building Bold is definitely making it a a moment of empowerment and growth, even in that discomfort. Because when students do go to college, they will not have their parents by their side or their guardians, whomever, you know, is raising them. And they will be faced with, you know, deadlines and stressors. And I actually think of this process as an opportunity to be better prepared for college. With that said, I think that some of the strategies, you know, I employ and, you know, with all of Building Bold include expectation management to the point of, you know, what are we hoping for in terms of submission deadline? And what are we hoping for in terms of outcome in this very unpredictable admissions process? Like, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of companies that will say, we can get your kid admitted to an Ivy League school. I mean, that's not actually a fact. It's about thinking about the expectations, thinking about the parent, thinking about the child and like, what are those distinct needs? Some parents are more nervous. They haven't been through this process in a really long time. They have information that might be 20 years old and that's okay if it's there. They should. Why should they be keeping up with 20 years of information? Right, right. (laughs) And so they might need a little extra attention from me as a coach or whomever, you know, the guidance counselor at their school. And that's okay But I think it is our job as consultants to really support the family in understanding what's ahead and planning a process that works and reassuring the family of where we are each week or each month. For students, however, it's a little different. For me, the student is my number one priority. If the student is ever in harm's way, share something that's detrimental, of course, I'm going to share it with the family. But there is you know, a reality of this is that I am almost like a sports coach. Like I need that student to feel pushed and believe in the process. And this is not a process that every student just understands what's involved. They get that there's essays and whatnot, but there's a lot more if you really want to assemble an A-plus application. So to kind of round this out, I would say for parents, it's definitely expectation management, reassuring them of timelines, talking them through anecdotal information and how this is going to work out for their child and being proactive for students. It's about forming that bond, making it somewhat fun where applicable and empowering and pushing them. Otherwise, why are they working with me? They might as well, you know, just assemble these applications on their own. They may really want to be pushed and it's my job to do just that. 
Can we talk a little bit about, I know a lot of families, I mean, I live in New York City where, of course, everything's a little more intense. It's turned up to 11. And so there is a sort of, okay, my kid is going to do this. They're going to work hard. They're going to check all these boxes. And then they're going to get into one of these six schools. Okay, one of these 10 schools, right? And there are a lot of kids who really ran hard and had parents running hard and who the changing landscape left the kids disappointed because they weren't going to the school they thought they were going to go to, even though they're ending up going to a, a very good school. I want to address this because there's people listening from you know all over the place in all kinds of situations. How do you manage your own expectations? How do you suggest that parents manage their own expectations about, oh, I really want my kid to swim at this college, to go to this college I went to? How do we handle our feelings about that and encourage our kids while still protecting them from some of that maybe overly ambitious yearning? It's a great question. So I think that part of this process is detaching a student's value from a college's decision. That's obvious. We read that everywhere. You know, you'll get that if you get a deferral letter, a rejection letter, like they'll tell you to do just that. So one is just a student's value is not a college's decision. That's just not. Mm -hmm. I think secondly, though, there is a place for every student. And I don't necessarily believe that the name of the school makes that place. So I think if a student and a family and in particular parents can think can expand their idea of what a successful collegiate experience might be, they can be more successful in the process and feel a little bit more at ease what are our number two or three schools that we're considering, not just the top choice? I think there's some strategy that can help to ease that intense overwhelm about my student or my child is going to this school and going to swim at that school. The reality is that a lot of many schools that parents would like to see their students attend have very, very low admit rates. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of students are thus rejected. And P.S., I want to say part two of that is the school that you're like, well, they could always go to this school. Guess what? That school isn't so easy to get into anymore either. The elite schools have become, it's like the camel through the eye of the needle. And then the school that you're like, that's your safety. Not anymore. Everything's gotten a little bit harder yeah. to get into based on where it was 20 years ago, which doesn't mean it's impossible. It's just you need to reset your expectations early. So in resetting those expectations, a balanced list is really key. I mean, the vast majority of my students are not ending up at their safety mm -hmm. school, which could be a great school, if they create a balanced list, one that makes sense. Really going off of current information is valuable, whether it's through working with you know an independent consultant or your school, like current information. Did your school only admit a certain number of students to X school this past year? Do they admit someone every year? Do they admit 10 students? Like the real data. And then also, but again, having the different scenarios, it makes students really uncomfortable, but I do force them and their families to think about what would it look like if we didn't get accepted? Like, what would that look like? Because in life, there is rejection. I think this process is also a great first exposure to rejection. Like, even if you never experience rejection, you in your mind, you might be running around with thoughts of I might be rejected or like I could be rejected. Oh, well, this other kid's applying. So like life has rejection. And this is merely just one experience that can mirror that, I guess, a bit. Yeah. So every year I get very nervous around, you know, admissions results coming out. And yes, I do have students that have reached very high and there's just no world where it's happening. But when it is a case of I think this student deserves to be admitted, it's a really low admit rate. 
I try to remind the student and myself, like maybe even like a little note to the family that I know the student's going to end up somewhere great because they've assembled a great application if they have. Like that's a fact. And I remind the student and myself that we have done everything in our control. I think when you've done everything in your control truly, and sometimes you haven't, like sometimes a student hasn't, like they didn't work as hard as they could on the essay or they didn't work as hard in school. When they've really done everything, it is okay to surrender the process a little bit while feeling excitement. And at that point, I help students realize that, you know what, in a couple of years, you're going to be really happy on a campus. And you know what? I've had students just in the past year successfully transfer into the college they were once rejected from. And they were rejected two years ago through the process. I think this is a process of like grit, persistence, perseverance, and finding new outlooks on what success even looks like in the process. It's a total crucible, but I will agree. My kid who just went through it, he seems so ready to go to college now. A great movie, like a great screenplay is a hero making machine. And the things that happen to the hero during the movie are exactly the things that need to happen for that hero to become, you know, Harry Potter at the end or whatever. I feel like this college application process is the hero making machine that's made my kid ready to go to college and decide about classes and decide about life outcomes for himself in a totally new way. So I'm grateful even after all the stress that yeah. You know, that he got to do it. Tell us about Building Bold and where we can find you, Nikki. So Building Bold can be found at www.buildingboldstudents.com. We're on all social media platforms with the handle Building Bold. You know, I think my ultimate mission here and as Building Bold continues to expand is to really change the paradigm in the admissions landscape to bring forth some more mindfulness, to bring forth a little bit more empowerment into a process that's really just riddled with here's the Ivy League school and that's everything. We are definitely on a mission to bring forth storytelling more across the entire application and bring forth a little bit more education on that process. And so I look forward to on those platforms and, you know, on the website to sharing our real perspectives on this process that come from true anecdotal experience and a belief in, in really moving beyond what is conventional. There's a lot of conventions in this industry. And, and I think when we get outside of the box, we can make magic happen in this admissions world. So I look forward to connecting more on those social media platforms or the website. Nikki, this was so helpful and so useful. And I hope that people feel empowered, empowered to help their students make good choices and submit great applications. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much, Amy. And just telling everyone it will work out. And I'm excited to go through another season of this with many families. Okay, good. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you've fallen into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.